0: all right welcome everyone welcome back to another episode of startup up Uh, i'm very excited today to have chase friedman with us uh am i saying your name right chase friedman you got it great uh and what actually really stood out to me when i saw your profile on uh, matchmaker.fm is that you are like me um someone who comes from the sort of realm of helping businesses acquire more customers so i'm on the sales side you're on the marketing side and what we really share as common ground as well is not only the, the, the space and activity that we do where we help companies get more customers, but the ethos and values that we share around how we do that. Uh, so the, the way you like to approach it is you help customers unlock their potential to profit with purpose, um, making sure that they are doing ethical business. And that's something that I'm really passionate about as well. Uh, so yeah, I'd really love to have um, you introduce yourself. And then I'd love to jump into this conversation to kind of explore more about, you know, marketing mistakes that people are making and especially around the angle of uh, how do we do business in a way that's profitable, but also ethical and purposeful.
1: Absolutely. Um, and thank you for the intro. So yeah, I mean, you put it you put it right. I mean, look, my core belief and mantra is that all businesses and people have the ability to do good and do well um, in this world to profit with purpose. And I think we're living this in this really incredible time right now where that is becoming proven more and more um, with each passing day. So, you know, my background, quite frankly, is a bit of a circuitous route to get here. I actually started uh, as a filmmaker in film and TV as an independent filmmaker, writing, directing, producing. And so storytelling is definitely in my DNA. Um, Although I quickly realized that, you know, maybe the starving artist life wasn't always going to be for me. Um, So I kind of parlayed that into taking what I knew and love about the craft and storytelling and connecting with people and elevating emotions to kind of the brand side of things and helping brands position and tell their stories through content, through messaging. Um, That's really what's led me down the path of, uh, you know, brand strategist, um, brand soulmate or advocate, if you will, and especially into the marketing realm. I believe they're all kind of unified and tied together, Um, you know, once again i think the greatest competitive advantage that a business or a brand can have today is really a sing a singular authentic and compelling purpose um otherwise you're getting lost in this sea of uh sea of white noise sea of sameness so uh yeah that's a little bit about me and um happy to to delve into prove that hypothesis with you and your listeners
0: right And uh, maybe tell us a bit about Vanquish Media Group. So I know you've been doing this for uh, good, coming up to eight years now, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it started with um, myself, kind of consulting and and coaching, and it snowballed from there. Um, And actually, it's kind of come full circle in a way in terms of kind of contracting to a point where I have really, I we still continue to serve some really fabulous clients and campaigns and projects, but I've feel myself called to really what got me into it in the first place, which was more of the interpersonal one-on-one sort of coaching and consulting with leadership, with CEOs, with founders, with entrepreneurs. I I miss and I enjoy being in the trenches, rolling up my sleeves, kind of being one foot in with them um, and helping them not only see the bigger picture in terms of strategy, but also help them implement and execute along the way. Um, That's just one of the things that I think as an agency, you don't always get to do. Um, and so that's kind of what I've been focusing most of my attention on as of late.
0: Great. And you you mentioned something that I find quite interesting because you, you talked a bit about how you moved out of film because you didn't want to kind of go down that starving artist route. And I think very <laughs> similarly in business, there is this misconception out there where a lot of people think that if they're a social venture, if they're trying to run a business that's going to create some sort of social good, that that comes at a price, that comes at the kind of sacrifice of being able to really maximize shareholder value or profit Mm -hmm. and that they have to do so um, by by compromising and by actually not taking or doing certain things where they are are quote unquote manipulative or um, purely focused on the sale, they end up actually slower to convert, uh, have lower conversion rates uh, and ergo are less profitable. Um, kind of, what what are your thoughts around that misconception?
1: Yeah, like I said, I think there there certainly was a time, and there still is, when people hear purpose driven, socially responsible, they think, oh, nonprofit, right, or a foundation, or how is that going to make me a lot of money? Um, well, look, the the truth is, is they are not mutually exclusive, and if anything, the opposite is true, and there is countless data to to back and support this um, from on a variety of fronts that support the the thesis that commitment to brand purpose is a lead driver in business growth, right? So those brands that are leaning fully into and owning their purpose, speaking their kind of clear and authentic and consistent message, kind of knowing and deeply connecting with their audiences and their tribe on on a deep and, and, and emotional level, those businesses are 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 outperforming the market by far. You know, the again the statistics supports that people are more willing to buy from, to work for and to invest in these sort of purpose driven uh, organizations. And the reason for that is we've evolved you know, the, the marketplace itself has evolved. We've evolved as consumers and into a more of a conscious consumer. And we're we're operating in much more of a stakeholder-driven economy than a shareholder-driven economy, which was used to be kind of the norm.
0: Mm-hmm, definitely agree. And to speak to the data point as well, where you mentioned like reports and kind of uh, what, what the data is pointing towards. Uh, if listeners are interested in finding out more, Kapoor Capital actually released an impact investment report uh, a while ago where they showed some of their, their businesses and how they're actually outperforming a lot of the other investments out there that are non-impact driven, so to speak. Um. So, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely <clears throat> strongly agree with that approach. And I think um at the end of the day, consumers nowadays care about what value can you bring them. And the more socially conscious you are, not only are you adding more value to your consumer, but you're also adding more value to the community and to the planet in general. So it's it's not about value for the shareholder only. And if you just focus on creating good value, you would the, the profit will generally follow. Um, a, a good mentor of me once said that you know, profit is not the end goal. Profit is not the objective. Profit mm-hmm. is the result of doing something really, really good. That's right.
1: Yeah. And I look, I think when you have people like Mark Benioff and and Yvonne Chenard and all these kind of running large, large enterprise organizations that have shifted the mentality and the mindset around, you know, yeah, it used to be the school of thought was business's sole purpose, sole purpose was to profit. Right. <laughs> now it's no, it's to do a greater good for your consumers, your your stakeholders in the world. And yes, the profit will absolutely come. And so that's why it's this incredible time. And, you know, when you want, when you want to talk about revenue, um, there is a clear advantage in terms of margin market share and engage, employee engagement and retention right so for example consumers are four to six four to six times more likely to purchase protect and champion purpose-driven companies right um you know two and three consumers so that's that's market share right in terms of when when you're looking at a product or a service and you've got a, a sea of sameness of, of options and competitors out there. What is going to resonate deeper uh, for the, for those consumers? We are, we have evolved past the point of marketing being around features, being around benefits. It's more around identity uh, now. And so that's, that's a great, an incredible way to stand out in the market in the crowded marketplace in terms of market share, in terms of margin, right? Two and three consumers, are willing to pay more pay a price premium for products and services from social impact brands right so now you're talking about margin and sort of brand value and equity when you look at the market cap of like a coca-cola or an apple so much of that brand va- that overall value is in is in their branding and and that helps elevate the margin um and then of course going into the workforce right more and more people want to work for these socially conscious businesses and brands, um, millennials and even more Gen Z. And so then now you're talking about how do we attract and retain and engage the best in class workforce? Well, that that is a great place to start. Yeah. So
0: on that note then, I, I love to kind of, you know, what we what we've been talking about really is true, I would say, for a lot of the larger brands. But I think what we commonly see, and you you probably see this a lot with your clients as well, is when we work with startups or the small businesses or the mom and pop shops, a lot of them really struggle to kind of get to that point. And and to elaborate on that, when when they're starting out, they're in the sea uh, amongst a lot of other competitors that are sometimes using very uh, sort of quote unquote black hat or unethical type of marketing gimmicks and, and hacks and growth hacks. Where yeah. they're doing certain things, where yes, it it gives them good short term returns, right? And then a lot of these other ethical or, or social purposely dri- social socially driven uh, businesses feel the need to at least kind of at a minimum, uh, kind of mimic or or do something similar because they they will feel like if I'm not at least doing what my competitors are doing, then I'm kind of being drowned out in the noise, right? So how do you kind of? balance that kind of a uh, short term versus long term outcome? And how do you see that manifesting in how some of your clients that you've worked with, try to create different campaigns, and sometimes, maybe unintentionally, uh, take the wrong approach when it comes
1: to marketing? Yeah, I get that question all the time. I mean, I get the question all the time around, okay, sure, I I see how that can work for Apple or Nike or Coca-Cola or Patagonia, but how does that work for me as a small business owner? And the truth is, is I work predominantly and I prefer to work predominantly with with SMBs, with small, medium-sized businesses and entrepreneurs, sometimes solopreneurs. And and the the thing that I say, and this is true, is you are the most equipped and agile and nimble in order to pivot and adapt and showcase that unique and compelling kind of message and purpose, more so than the slow-moving ship that are these large organizations. Um, And you are closer to that message, right? It takes a lot of investment and time and strategy and research and testing and and messaging for these organizations to kind of land on what they feel is going to be the universally adopted sort of purpose statement, mission, brand pillars, et cetera. Um, And it's, it's almost, it's, it's really hard to make it breathe life and authenticity. Like it's a, you know, living, breathing thing, which I I believe a brand is because a large organization is largely faceless. For a smaller business and enterprise, that's you. That is what drives you, what compels you to do that thing that you do, um, to provide that service, to improve your customers' lives through your products, through your efforts. Um, and so that's – you're much closer to the surface, if you will. You're much closer to the end consumer than a large organization where it's top down, Um So again, I think it's, it's the great thing is, is there's a multitude of ways that you can develop and deploy that. Um, It doesn't cost as a lot of money or as much as it used to, to produce content, to produce video, to be on social media, to uh, engage with your local community and, 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 you know, nonprofits. Um, Those are all things within your reach that you can be much more agile than a larger institution can be.
0: Mm. And when it comes to seeing results in campaigns related to that, one thing that I often see as well is that a lot of small business owners, they expect to see immediate results. And maybe that's also a difference between you know when you're operating and working with a larger client versus a small client, when they have different budgets uh, and kind of different kind of timelines. Yeah. How do you kind of speak to that piece where now, nowadays more and more business owners are kind of falling prey to the mindset where they, they have to have that sort of instant gratification and they need to be able to quickly communicate and, and see results because i find that a lot of what we do in and around like intentful branding oftentimes leads to more long-term type of outcomes short-term we may slightly yeah. sacrifice in terms of performance not yeah. to say that we underperform i would say um but yes there are other quicker ways where you can take shortcuts, but in the long run, it tends to hurt the business a bit more. So, how do yeah. you see that that kind of uh, that that instant gratification piece playing out?
1: Yeah, I think you're spot on. I think there's always a tension there, and I'm a small business owner, so I felt it. Right, we're all compelled and lured by these these um you know seemingly magic growth hacks and 10x your revenue and scale your business and you know infinite leads and all these kind of short-term quick fix solutions to long-term sort of challenges in my experience and what i've seen time and time again um is that most most of this stuff um either a is just simply ineffective and doesn't work at all or it simply will maybe sustain you for a short period of time but not really get to the root of 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 sustainable growth. Um, Unless you continue to feed the beast, so to speak. Um, It's like a light switch. The moment you turn it off, okay, now you're back in the dark. Versus, you know, those are are things that most, quite frankly, most clients come to me asking for. Are the marketing tools and campaigns and tactics to get closer to their end goal, whether that's leads, whether that's awareness, whether that's donations, whatever revenue, whatever that might be. They always, you know, they want to be quickest to where's the, the immediate win. Um, and it's hard for a small business owner to say, okay, let's, and this is what I tell them is let's, let's stop. Let's measure twice and cut once. Let's understand really kind of the core foundation of your business, which is your, you know, your brand. Um, because the truth is, is if you don't have that clear and concise, and consistent across all aspects of your business, all of those other marketing tactics, I promise you are, are going to have diminishing returns or just completely fail f- flat on their face. Um, so it's hard to it's hard to get a small business owner that needs to kind of turn a profit in this quarter to invest in branding, which is yes, a longer term sort of investment in yourself. Um but I, I think it's absolutely critical because I have seen time and again, so many people spend countless time and money on these quick fixes that just get them back to ground zero once again, where they have to then realize, okay, let's go back to the drawing board and really clarify who we are. Yeah,
0: that really reminds me of kind of the uh, analogy in lead manufacturing where they talk about you know, solving the symptom versus solving the root cause of the problem. That's it, right. The quick fixes, it's easy to solve the symptom, but then it's going to occur again if you don't actually address the root cause. So often a lot of it really stems from not having the right you know, brand angle, brand identity and values
1: as well. Yeah, I think that's it's interesting. I mean, you're absolutely right. I think it's a symptom of like our culture, like, you know, Western culture and Western medicine is, you know, oriented around solving the symptom. Take a pill, right? Yeah. Take a pill every day. But the moment you stop taking that pill up, oh, you know, what's going to happen? You're gonna have those symptoms again. Versus healing kind of the body, right, or allowing the body to heal itself. I mean, I know it's kind of a stretch of an analogy, but I you know i I, I believe in that as well. I believe that um you've got to treat um the root of it. Um, or at least that's a a more sustainable way towards kind of greater health and greater business than just continuing to uh, play whack-a-mole and try and fight off the symptoms,
0: yeah. And if it makes you feel any better, I, I don't think it's exclusive to us in culture. I just came back from a trip to uh, Hanoi in Vietnam and while I was there, we were working with a company that sold fish cakes Hmm. and what was very interesting with them is that they kind of manifested this very same example that we were talking about where they had launched a uh, kind of food cart where they would booth at like a morning market, those wet markets where they sell fish, where they sell um, vegetables and they would try to sell their fish cakes and the company had open up their food cart only for a single day. Only a single day, I kid you not. And the next day, they came back to us and they said, oh, we didn't have really good sales that day. What should we do? (laughs) And and it's like, you, you can expect us to give you some rough advice, but there's just too many uncertainties and you need to test a lot of things. Like, we don't know if your bad sales was just because it was a fluke day. Maybe you were not vocal in your promotions when you were standing in front of your cart. Maybe you had the wrong location, mm, maybe, yeah. maybe it's your branding, who knows, right? There are so many factors out there. So I find not only with, uh, different business experiments, but especially so in marketing, when we take the short-sighted approach, we often don't give a lot of our campaigns enough time to even prove themselves to even succeed. And then we end
1: up pivoting too quickly to, to a new idea, Absolutely. to a new campaign. Absolutely. Um, you know, talk about the, the title of your show. That is probably one of the biggest symptoms that I've seen in startups that I've been a part of and even just kind of op- observed in terms of their death now, right, that they're fucking up, uh, is that over-tendency, that impatience to continue to pivot the moment things are have gone awry. And you see that not just with startups, large organizations, right? You see this with organizations one one quarter when or, you know, one quarter when things are going well, sure, let's invest in uh, corporate social responsibility and 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 brand and storytelling and all these great things that we do believe are going to make a, a greater impact uh, in the lives of our customers and help us deliver on our mission. But the moment you know things get tough and tight, they they pull up on that and that signals to the to the market that they weren't earnest in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so same thing with just kind of any business, you know, the moment things are not going well and that impatience sets sets in. Um, I've seen and been a part of companies that have just pivoted every single quarter, and sometimes even faster on an initiative or a campaign that I feel that if left uh, if if optimized and nurtured appropriately could have been successful. But mm-hmm. you're never really giving a fair chance to it.
0: Yeah. And if I try to tease out the lesson behind this, what I've at least observed on my end is that often a lot of the social ventures that I work with are purpose driven businesses they tend to be a bit more resilient in terms of not pivoting too quickly. Or when they do pivot, it tends to be more strategic pivot that is still grounded in their values and grounded in their mission. So they're not just like throwing shit on the wall and seeing what sticks. They're at least saying, okay, I still want to do this. I still want to focus on, you know, how can I improve the impact that I'm doing in this space, but in a different way. So they're just exploring the different manifestations and they're not too... They're not going from, let's say, you know, self-driving car to a drone to ARB. or
1: anything. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, and I think the reason for that is once again because they are they are guided and led by that purpose, that compelling purpose, right? There is a deeper, more rooted meaning, you know, belief in terms of where they're going and why they exist as a business. That is that sets you up to help weather the storm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there, there's a there's a great there's a great quote by uh, Napoleon Hill. Um, you know, a man without a compass is, is uh, I'm sorry, a man without a purpose is like a ship without a compass. Um, you know, you're kind of sailing or flying blind. Um, and I believe that to be true, where that can really galvanize and give you that singular focus when when things are good or when things are bad.
0: Uh, and maybe this is a good segue to move on to kind of the second point is, as, as some of the brands that we work with, some of them are kind of uh, immediately aware of what their purpose or what their brand values are on day one, but some of them aren't. Mm -hmm. Um, And as they kind of shift towards kind of clarity around their brand, how do they start to kind of communicate uh, in the right way, in the right copy, um, how they try to create impact? I guess what I'm trying to get around here is how do they do impact storytelling?
1: Yeah, no. um, First step is First of all, it's never too late to start, um, but you got to dig deep. You got to be vulnerable. You got you to be, you know, you, you need to kind of shake, shrug off the feeling of, well, we need to try to appeal and appease and, and, appease and talk to all people, right? You got to really get clear on who your audience is, right? Who your tribe is and who you are speaking to and understanding with confidence and clarity who you are and what you stand for as a brand and tell that story. And and the rest is, is, it truly is. It's storytelling. It's being real and vulnerable about pains and problems and wants and desires and motivations and goals um, and pursuits and beliefs. Um, And knowing that, you know, to stand out as a brand, you need to be disruptive and divergent. You can't try to, you know, uh, homogenize it so that it's digestible equally by everyone. Um, So I think it does take a little bit of courage and a little bit of bravery and a little bit of vulnerability um in order to have that content really you know p- not only pierce through the white noise but but truly resonate and connect with the people that it it matters to most.
0: Yeah and to add to that as well I would also say that to to have a kind of purpose driven angle isn't the an all to your business. You still have to have like a, a good product or service that you're offering your, your customers, right? So don't don't Operate under the assumption that just by doing good in your business, business will naturally come to you. you no, nah, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, of course. Yeah, you, look, you've got to you've got to have set good intention by delivering a good service and a good product. Yeah. Um And and thankfully, most people do. Um, but they aren't they aren't winning. They aren't getting ahead. They aren't outperforming the competition because, like you said earlier. I I feel they they feel the need to kind of follow and chase trends, yeah. um, and what their competitors are doing versus kind of walk their own walk.
0: Yeah. Um, so some of what you've talked about is mostly around the storytelling piece from the brand angle.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I see a lot of these companies do these companies actually track some sort of uh, impact metric where they're usually thinking about like you know how much CO two they are sequestering from the from the environment. Um, how much landfill they're diverting, how much garbage they're diverting from the landfill? Um, how do they can, kind of translate a lot of this data and metrics into a form of um
1: more relatable
0: stories and kind of conversations that will engage their their, their prospects and customers?
1: Yeah, great question. Um I, again, I think it's it's crucial that you gotta again, you know walk the talk. Um, there's a lot of companies that are doing a great job at measuring and tracking, and we're getting much better in terms of having the tools and resources to measure some of those, you know, qualitative or intangible metrics around, around impact. Um, in terms of weaving it into your messaging, again, it goes back to storytelling. People remember, you know, the recall of of a story versus just facts and figures is, is, is multiple fold, right? It's exponential. Um, and I'm, you know, I, I forget exactly what kind of the data suggests, but being able to deliver, uh, data points, um, facts, figures, benefits, values, features, on their own, not not the most compelling or memorable. If you do so in a story, and you're providing the full context and view of why you are doing this initiative, what the what the real kind of existential big challenge or problem was that led you down this path, how you overcame that, who's kind of the hero, who are the heroes in this story, telling their story, who are the adversaries. Um, what do the wins look like? What does that success state look like? What is the f- potential failure if we don't do this look like? So you've got to round out that those data points with story elements that, that, you know, really does penetrate a consumer's mind, yeah. um, and sticks with them because they're not going to just remember that you saved a hundred billion tons of carbon. They're going to remember the story about, you know, uh, the, you know, the the small town that was being overrun by you know pollution and, and and carbon and you know people were suffering and whatever that might be tell tell the human story about where and why it's having the most impact even yeah. at the smallest levels so tell the
0: story of uh, kind of the, the the customers that you're impacting their stories kind of paint them as sort of the hero instead of you or your company as being the hero is is
1: that kind of what you're getting at. Absolutely. That's absolutely right. Um, that's and that's a great point. And that's one of the biggest paradigms that I that I think is important that brands kind of misfire on is they 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 oftentimes position themselves as the hero in the story. That's not the case. You know, your customer, your stakeholders are the heroes of this journey. You are the guide. You can help them on their journey to transformation, you know, through your product, through your services, through what you do um but positioning your customer uh as the hero and that's you know that's one of the most compelling forms of what is a great kind of movement uh, around brand storytelling and I'm part of a great network that that is really kind of moving the you know moving the uh the advancement of this and when I say brand storytelling I mean you know actual brands investing in subsidizing underwriting developing you know just good, high quality, meaningful stories and content, mostly kind of documentary style, sometimes long form, sometimes short, but it's almost always around the end stakeholders. Um, and it's, and it's almost brand invisible. They're not, they're not promoting their brands and their and their products and their services. They're telling the stories, the authentic, compelling stories of people, um, that align with the values of the company, um, or vice versa. And, Um, And their their conditions, whether it's inner city kids that are, you know, lacking resources and education, um, whether it's, you know, you know, indigenous people kind of trying to build farms and businesses without proper access to kind of water, um, you know, you name it. Right. And you'd be surprised at some of the brands that are behind this. But again, they're entrusting that if they tell the right message and it and it act and it speaks to people on a deep emotional level, it will build brand trust and brand equity in the long run.
0: Yeah. And one very raw example of, you know, telling a customer story or or sort of a a beneficiary story that comes to mind is um, I was recently listening to um, Scott from Charity Water talk about his experience when he went out on the field to kind of document the work that they were doing with their charity. And this example that I'm about to give is quite strong because Yes, they are doing work that is very, very directly impactful. But I'm not saying that this is not possible as well in other more sort of uh, desire-based businesses, so to speak. And what I mean by desire-based business is, you know, there there's a lot of room for great do good businesses, and not everyone needs to do something that is like you know solving world hunger or like bringing clean water to right. everyone kind of thing. You could be creating like a simple game, or you could even be doing something in a more ethical way, like. That's all absolutely fine as well. But just to give that example, Scott was talking about how when he was in the field, he he saw a young girl actually bend down to drink some water and she couldn't find any clean water around. So she was drinking this water and she would drink it and she would throw up and puke all over herself. Oh gosh. And she would bend down and scoop it up again. So she's literally poisoning herself. And nowadays in this day and age, like with the mediums that we have at our and and the tools that we have at our disposal when it comes to marketing and communicating it's not only storytelling in the form of the, the 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 written stories or the audio stories we can also become very visual of it so he took out his camera he took a picture and you know like that picture really speaks a thousand words you can see like this girl drinking water and she has puke all over the front of her shirt right yeah. so when when you tell a story like that it's yes very visceral but it really helps your donors Or the people involved in your journey understand how the money that they put towards your company is really creating a good impact as well
1: yeah that's a really compelling story that's a really compelling example um and and, but you're absolutely right in in the sense that you know i mean that's charity water right but for a for-profit organization that doesn't mean that you need to be on the front lines solving you know our climate crisis and, and and global warming or Social injustice, or whatever it might be, or global hunger. That doesn't mean you need to be on on the front lines of that. There are so many ways that you can support those who are. Quite frankly, whether that is another nonprofit and helping support them with the, the wonderful things that you do, your products and resources. And, and again, uh, Salesforce is a great B two B, you know, B two B example of that. Um, you know, supporting the people that are on the front lines, whether it's educators or healthcare workers or whatever it might be, through their products um and so that's what i think a lot of people get intimidated by is what what do we have to kind of really create a big social change in the world it doesn't have to be global or big picture start in your start within your own ranks and your own organization and just improving the quality of life and culture of your employees or your local community um start small and work from there
0: yeah and i find like the the kind of degree to how you tell your story also doesn't need to kind of be at that sort of extreme level like one other example I can think of of a product that might not even be viewed as sort of a, a social venture, so to speak, is um, this is one company we work with and they sell these keychains that are travel-based keychains. So the idea there is it's very simple. They're, they're nice leather keychains, but there are these rings that you can purchase and they have a country code stamped onto those rings. It's just a simple metal ring. And what the founder of the company does is um, his company... The, the, the reason why he started it is because he wanted to make travel inclusive. He wanted to be able to share the joy of traveling with people who don't have the means of traveling and also kind of um, advocate around uh, sustainable and environmentally environmentally friendly travel practices. Mm-hmm. So what, what he would do is he would take a percentage of his profits and he would bring some people, like he brought some folks from, I think, Nepal uh, on a plane flight to come and visit Canada. So... Telling that story, even though it's not as impactful, but just helping people really share that joy and and see how one person has been able to experience the joy of travel in a very different way. That could be a very meaningful way of kind of sharing the the impact that you're creating as well.
1: Yeah, well said.
0: So um, kind of to shift to the next topic. As as we as brands and as we work with these companies to help them kind of tell more impactful and and, and better stories, what we're also seeing out there is there are a lot of naturally, um, I would say, not inherently good companies that try to greenwash because they see that, hey, this right. trend is working, that, you know, people and consumers nowadays seem to care about some of these things. Ergo, I'm going to try to position myself strategically for it just so I can make better profits. Right. Um, what have you seen out there when it comes to brands being inauthentic about their values and kind of greenwashing?
1: I'm sorry, what was the, what was the last part of the question?
0: Uh, yeah, what have you seen out there in terms of brands being inauthentic about their values and greenwashing?
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness, where to begin? Um, uh, well, look, I mean, I don't mind pulling punches, I'll go right to the top. I mean, Larry Fink of, of BlackRock, uh, was actually one of the biggest proponents of of more share- uh, um more stakeholder driven capitalism more conscious investments and in investors and organizations and so you know kudos for kind of stemming that you know driving that movement um however um and this is at this point it's it's public knowledge you know they they are um at least a partial investor in a for profit national um Education program uh, um, organization that makes a lot of money. Um, and that com- that organization spun up a nonprofit uh, for a number of years that they were funding and sponsoring as part of kind of their ESG commitment. And long story short, they pulled promised kind of funding and and basically kind of defaulted on their nonprofit shortly after filing for their ESG. You know, statement and impact report, which obviously has benefits to their their tax and their filing, and all that to say is is this stuff happens all the time, all around us. A lot of it it's not reported um, or unknown um, because they've got great lawyers and attorneys and press teams. But I've seen this firsthand with a client where um, you know they they are a nonprofit that are trying to improve you know education systems around the country and. Were sponsored and subsidized by an organization that was partially funded by BlackRock. So even those at the top that profess to have these standards and do the greatest good, they don't always have their hands clean. You know, uh, when you really kind of trace it back, I'm not. I'm not making a general statement. I'm not saying this is always the case. And I'm sure they have many, many, you know, more kind of sound, sustainable investments. But this was one recently that I came across that was a little bit shocking, given. Following it up, the flagpole going to BlackRock of all places, where Larry Fink, you know, has been one of the biggest proponents of of ESG, and yet, you know, upon closer inspection, um, how consistent are they?
0: And kind of to follow up on that, like, I think part of it is also to to blame on the system, where there are good intentions, but sometimes it's just, I would say, not even the wrong, but more imperfect incentives that are out there. Which then create those loopholes that certain companies will take advantage of as well.
1: Yeah, and look, it's 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 hard. It's not easy to measure all of these all of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also inauthentic to prompt a make the promise that you are going to do them and not live up to it, or or b and worse, um, paint the picture of having this impact and this commitment when you're not really, you're not really uh, committed to it. Driving the needle, invest in time and resources.
0: Yeah. And this actually brings me to a very good question, which is in and around kind of defining those authentic values. And why I, why I think this is relevant now is because a lot of these companies, I find that when they make these decisions, they they do make it with good intentions, but then Maybe I'll dial, dial myself back a bit. They, they form these values and they make these promises with good intentions. And then when it comes to the actual execution and delivery, some of the micro decisions within that tend to cause the whole thing to fall apart because they don't base their decisions on their values. So what have you learned about how companies kind of form and identify good core values? Because... What I see all too often, and you probably see this as well, is that a lot of companies, they understand the importance of values, they go, they run an exercise, they bring in a consultant, and lo and behold, the next day they have 10 values, they post it on the wall in the office, and they never look at it again, right? So what have you seen out there that works in terms of really helping an organization help find and um, kind of live out those authentic values?
1: Um well look I think it I think it certainly helps to have a more inclusive approach to how you're cr- creating these values so not just from the top down but really being able to um reach to all areas of your business and your stakeholders internal and external and listen really just truly listen to what's important to them what inspires people to come to work every day what do they love about their job what is the most prideful thing that they do in their in their daily affairs um, what do your consumers consumers love most about your business? How do they see you? So I think kind of reaching across the aisle and listening and in and, and, and intaking and incorporating a lot of those insights is extremely important for crafting those and then and then remaining consistent. Cause then you got a little bit of accountability as well. Um if you if you develop these in a vortex and a bubble in a C-suite, um, first of all, you, you, you know, who asked? The rest of your team or employees or you know anyone else in the organization does this feel right does this feel authentic because a lot of times you get people rolling their eyes oh wow that's our mission statement i don't really feel like that's true um uh, and and it also, you know, so it stress tests it stress tests those things and it holds accountability because if you can really develop pillars and a purpose that your own employees and stakeholders are, get behind, they're your biggest advocates and proponents. The less you have to do as a business to kind of shout it from the rooftops, they will be your frontline ambassadors to wear that badge of honor with pride around where they work and where they purchase and, and who they support. Mm.
0: And to add to that, what I've learned as well is it's helpful to have that bottoms up approach in terms of surfacing the values, but at the same time, we don't want to make the mistake of capturing kind of the average of those values, because I think a lot uh, the, the mistake that a lot of companies make is because they they go out, they survey, they get all that input, and they're like, okay, this seems to be the most popular values, and then they 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 take that, but it's not truly the authentic values of the organization. So, what I see is a, kind of a bit of the both top down and bottoms so up. At the end of the day. Upper management needs to also really truly buy in and authentically care about those values, and if they don't, then this is a time where you need to change management. Right, you need to get the right people in the right seats who truly believe in certain things. Like you, you can say your company value is diversity and inclusion, but if your CEO is racist, you are <laughs> not going to get there. Right, so yeah. a bit of both, the top down and bottoms up. Um, yeah, so. I think that kind of helps a little bit with uh, defining that. And I think one thing I want to add on there is uh, you also mentioned prior to our conversation in this recorded call is not having values just as simple like one-liners like innovation or like diversity, but more like value statements where you elaborate a bit more on like what exactly does innovation mean to us? How does it manifest? How do we celebrate and kind of um, encourage those kind of behaviors? Those kind of things.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and and one approach that comes to mind for me is um, the difference between what I call a push versus a pull value. Yes. And what I mean there is uh, organizations tend to, when when they define certain values, they tend to push as a default. So what I mean by push is they might say, okay, we want people to be more innovative. We want people to be, let's say, um, be more transparent. And in doing so, they are trying to push these values onto employees that are not values that these employees generally resonate with. Uh, instead, what I encourage a lot of organizations to do is instead of doing that, design the environment to pull those values out of people so that people naturally want to exhibit those values. And people who do have those values will naturally be attracted to your organization to come and work with you. So you know, the example on innovation there is, let's say, for example, with Google, they have that 80-20 rule where you can spend 20% of your, your working time on your own projects. And that naturally allows people to be innovative, uh, and not worry about like, oh, I'm working on a project on the side kind of thing, instead of being forced to like run hackathons
1: or do different projects,
0: but they don't actually enjoy it.
1: Yeah, I love I love the the paradigm and, and shifting. You know, push for you know to to pull. Um, what is going to be? And I I believe that for kind of your vision statement, right? What is going to be that compelling pull statement? that no matter how things are going or how you feel it's it's not going to push you unwillingly or 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 begrudgingly towards that end it's going to attract and pull and and continue to um uh inspire you to get where you're going Mm
0: -hmm. um and kind of to to wrap up our conversation i'd like to kind of ask one more personal question to you so you mentioned prior to our call that when you when you first started out your business you made some personal mistakes around kind of letting the, the business take control of you where it's more the business running you rather than you running the business. Can you kind of elaborate a bit about that journey, what you learned from there?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I've learned a lot on that journey. Um, I used to kind of term myself as an accidental entrepreneur. Um, you know, I, I be, like I told you, I began with little to no you know, really kind of traditional experience in branding or marketing. And a lot of what I did was based off of what I had known from, you know, storytelling and filmmaking and, and from gut and just kind of intuition. Um, and so it, you know, I was started off a little bit of, uh, you know, fake it till you make it say yes, saying yes to a lot of different things and requests that I believed in myself and know that I could do and I can achieve and pull off. And I did thankfully, you know, with some hard work and hustle, um, But, you know, that quickly led to trying to be all things, to all people and all clients and just kind of taking whatever came our way. And, you know, that's kind of sometimes what you need to do when you're a small business and a startup and you're trying to kind of grow and earn some revenue. But, you know, very quickly that leads you astray and down a path that you might not might not expect. Um, And before you know it, it could be a year, it could be years down the road where you look back and like, wow, how did I deviate so far from what I really enjoyed doing Um, you know, I, I got into it, you know, doing kind of the branding marketing stuff as, as an addendum, as an addition to, you know, doing video and content. Um, and then it quickly flipped on its head. Um, it was supposed to be, you know, uh, maybe 20%, it became 80 to the 20, um, and then a hundred percent. And so very quickly it started to become a business that I didn't recognize anymore. And I kind of lost a little bit of the passion and and um, was overstretched and pulled in a lot of different directions, trying to, again, service and be um, accountable to to any clients that came our way until, you know, reaching really a breaking point. Um, and this is, I don't think it's any you know fault of our own, but we had a we had a really rough patch where we pretty much went from our highest point in in terms of revenue and clients to losing just about everything within a matter of a few months. Um, it all just kind of came crashing down um you know being kind of brought to our knees and that was kind of the wake up call that i needed to say all right you know i'm not going to go and run and hide from it but i'm going to look at it in the i'm going to look at myself in the mirror and say what what do i need this business to be what is what am i truly passionate about what am i fulfilled by and that's kind of what led me towards this journey of finding my own purpose and and the inspiration to help others find theirs and working with those sort of purpose driven right. businesses and brands because that is what the fulfillment i get out of it that is the proxy high um but it certainly didn't start that way.
0: No, thanks. Thanks for sharing uh, transparently. I, I think it uh, it's not a journey that only you have been through. That's the easy way to put it. I, I think everyone goes through a similar journey as well. So don't be too hard on yourself for that. Thank you. But yeah, thanks. Thanks for your time. Uh, maybe I'll try to kind of summarize some key learning points, and then you know, if you have more po- uh, that you that you call on yourself, feel free to jump in as well. Um, to kind of go all the way back uh some of the key ones that I, I caught on would be number one, don't expect immediate results uh give your campaigns enough chance to succeed um you know try different things, but ground yourself in your mission, your values, and in doing so, then you'll find yourself um having a bit more direction in terms of what you're doing. Uh the second one that kind of stood out to me as well is in and around uh, how we tell the stories, tell stories from our customer's angle. They are the hero, not us. We are simply the guides. Right. Um, and then the third one would be in and around uh, understanding how we kind of define those values and ensuring that values come from the bottom up, that we really listen and it's not just uh, being made by executives in a bubble uh, and that we are truly specific and clear with those values and generating environments where we can pull them out out of our employees and attract the right people who have those values to come to us mm-hmm. instead of uh, forcing uh, or, or kind of enforcing those values on people. Um, And lastly, kind of uh, from your personal example in and around um, kind of let letting the business lead you, I think that the biggest piece that I see there is being intentional with how you want to run your business uh, not only with the clients that you choose to work with, but also with the culture and tone that you set with your company. Because if you don't do it, then it will be set for you whether you like it or not.
1: Absolutely. I've been there. I've been there.
0: Yeah. Thanks for your time. Um, Any other kind of key points that stood out to you?
1: Um, I mean, you gave a great summary from that conversation. I think those are some really good sort of insights. Um, You know, of course, it's about execution. And that's kind of where you know, I know you kind of help your clients and I help mine. And so that's, um, that's the next step. It's one thing to kind of know it. It's another to embody it and, and behave in such a way. Um, and of course, always open to having that conversation with someone who is on that path, whether they're just starting out or they're well on their way. Wonderful. Uh, thank you so much
0: for your time and kind of sharing your wisdom. Um, if, if listeners are interested in kind of learning more about you working with you, how can they reach out to you?
1: Um, you know, easiest way is find me on LinkedIn. You can DM DM me anytime. I'm more than happy to just kind of have an exploratory conversation with you and learn more about you and your business. Um, you could also check out vanquishmediagroup.com, um, learn more about our capabilities, what we do, who we serve. Um, and there's some great resources on there as well, in particular, um, you know, the business, making the business case for purpose. And we've got a, a great amount of resources and stats around, um, you know, uh, statistics and data that support you know, that hypothesis around purpose-driven uh, brands driving business growth.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. I've learned a lot myself, but I hope our listeners learn even more. Uh, I think we can end it here today. So thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you.